With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello, everyone. This is Mireille Geno, and you're listening to the New Books in African Studies podcast. Joining me today is Professor Tiresor Ngarambe, Senior Lecturer of Translation and Interpreting at the University of Rwanda College of Arts and Social Sciences. Today we'll be discussing his new book, Practical Challenges in Customary Law Translation, The Case of Rwanda's Gachacha Law, published by the Organization for Social Science Research in Eastern and Southern Africa. Professor Ngarambe, welcome to the podcast. I wonder if you'd uh, begin by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, okay, yes. Um, um, as you said, you said my name is Ngarambe Tesfor. I'm Rwandan by nationality. Uh, yeah, I um, did my studies, university studies in the, the former National University of Rwanda. I did, uh, I joined the, the Department of English uh, in, the, in 1999, then completing the year 2000. Uh, then from that time, that's I started. Uh, I was recruited as the uh, one of the staff of the university teaching general English uh, in the Center of uh, Language Foundation. Uh, after that, I uh, because yeah, I, we have I had had a lot of courses in, of translation, translating main language combinations, especially French, English, Kinyarwanda. Uh, then that really. Uh, aroused some interest in, in me to pursue some studies, uh, further studies in translation interpreting. And then uh, from that time when I got scholarship to go to study in South Africa, uh, that was in 2003. Uh, then at that time I joined the University of uh, Waterland. That's where I started my uh, studies in translation. I did my master's there, and I completed in 2004 uh, with uh, a master's degree in translation. So during that, my studies, I had a lot of courses in, uh, about the theories and uh, practices, practices of translation, interpreting. And at the end, as uh, the that as the requirement for fulfillment of my studies, I did research on non-equivalence in translation in the case of the of Rwanda Rwanda's constitution of 2003. I tried to identify some areas of non-equivalence that. Translators could have encountered. After I completed my studies, I joined the University of Rwanda, and uh, at that time, the university had started the program of translation, a free fledged program, and then I started teaching in the program, supervising students uh, in the areas of translation interpreting. And uh, after uh, so many years, so about five years, that's when I started thinking about now doing my further studies in, at PhD level. I uh, try start now enrolling in the University of Rwanda, uh, doing a PhD program by research. I started doing working on uh, because I still had 
a lot of interest in the problem in the areas of transition, especially special transition uh, in the case of legal transition. Uh, then I had some time to read uh, the Gachacha Law, uh, which was a program. Uh, it, it was uh, a kind of traditional law that was uh, not recodified, re but it was revived to help Rwanda's, Rwanda's uh, solve the uh, post-genocide post uh, conflicts and uh, problems. So then, uh, as I could see how it, the, it was used to handle cases, that's when I started uh, thinking how maybe if it could be translated because I, I thought maybe uh, people who, uh, especially foreigners, uh, those who could not understand the context, culture of Rwandans could not really understand it because we could see, even see some some uh, controversial issues around it, people saying it was not working properly. But if you could see how it has uh, tremendously helped Rwandans to overcome the situation, then I said, maybe if it could be well translated, it could make a difference. So I, I think that's how I did, I did my PhD, then I completed in 2014. And from that time up to now, I'm still um, a senior lecturer in the University of Rwanda, and um, I'm coordinating a master's program in transition activity in the university. And I also teaching uh, different courses in uh, uh, translation to the integrated uh, uh, you know domains. So that's I think all about my myself. Okay. Yes. Great. That's and, and that's um, I think a very helpful uh, helpful background um, to understand how you uh, came to this uh, this subject. Um, I. I, as a, I'm not um, uh, well versed in the law of, of any <laughs> of any country, but I was still intrigued. Um, I was still intrigued by uh, by this book, which is uh, why I was interested in having you uh, come on the podcast. Um, part of what intrigued me certainly um, is the the notion of gachacha uh, law as a what you call in your preface, a homemade solution to the wounds of genocide. And you alluded to that um, a little bit just now. And so if you could um, sort of give a little background um, or extend a bit of the background that you just provided, because you did also note um, in the book that while other scholars have been uh, interested in gachacha as an indigenous solution to a problem um, that operates in a way that combines tradition and modernity, uh, you're, you are to date uh, the only person looking this deeply um, at translation, right? The issues of translation. Uh, so we'll get into that a bit more. But if you could, if you could sort of give an overview of what Gachacha um, law is. Yeah, thank you for the question. Gachacha, uh, uh, if you could even know what it could be, it's just a, a kind of lawn where people could sit. Uh, even uh, here outside, you could see some lawn that you could call gachacha here outside everywhere. Right, so that we're talking uh, about a lawn, the grass outside. Grass, yes. Uh -huh. right. uh -huh. And then uh, that's uh, whenever people, whenever people would have problem, even some family problem or just individual problems, they, they could you know call each other and sit in the, the grass, on the grass rather, mm -hmm. and then uh, they would discuss on some matters. Uh, that's uh, I, I think that would be uh, the, 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 the origin of what we would call gachacha itself. Mm -hmm. But then that is a kind of metonymy which would uh, reflect also a kind of forum. Mm -hmm. uh, in any case, you would not necessarily be sitting on grass. You would even be in your house. Mm -hmm. Then you say, now if you have a law or a problem, why wouldn't we? come and sit and then handle our issues in, in Gachacha. Mm -hmm. So that's what people uh, now would understand even today, what Gachacha would be uh, about. Uh, then it refers, uh, you know, in, in, you know, so many years back, in the times of, uh, you know, 
Kingdom times. Uh, it is a very, it's a very ancient, you know, uh, traditional uh, uh, legal system, and all the people would solve the problems in that way. It, not, it was not as structured as you could understand it, but uh, for some very, you know, serious issues, if they could not, that's what people even would say. If people uh, uh, matters could not be solved between men, that's what say men is. Is uh, you know uh, it does not reflect in, in, you know in contrast with women. It is just between human beings. It say if it cannot be solved between men, something wrong. It can, it now reaches the king. So that then the king would be the the, 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 the last resort to help people uh, solve the problem. But most of the time, whatever you would have as conflict or uh, misunderstanding between people, you had to solve it between people mm-hmm. at the velo level. That is what we would say, Kachacha. And then uh, I think that's what the way it used to be. But in its nature, uh, as you, you you could understand it, it is its main objective was not to punish somebody mm-hmm. or to make him understand that he was wrong, mm-hmm. but rather to say, okay, you have made this mistake, but now you would bring back that person in the society mm-hmm. to its kind of reconciliation, mm-hmm. not as just to because in that case, in that time, there any wrongdoing was a kind of uh, uh, oh, it was owned by the whole community. Mm-hmm. It was not individual. Mm-hmm. So that's what people would say. If you would wrong somebody, a family, somebody from a family, you if you would wrong do something wrong to another person from another family, then it will be a concern of the two families, not for those individuals. Mm-hmm. So that's why all the people, especially, it had to bring together some, what we would call uh, Inyanga Mugayo. Mm-hmm. These are the people who hate disgrace. Mm-hmm. People who uh, would be high, you know, have that high uh, credibility, high esteem uh, in the community, that people would think they would be truth worthy. And this These is, is often to handle the matter. Right, and they are, this term is often uh, translated as, as elders, is that correct? Yeah, no, no that's why that would be a kind of mis... Uh, mis- a mistranslation. Mis- yes, it, okay. these are not... Because elder, it could be an elder. Mm-hmm. The elder, though, you know, you can, you can be an elder in the family, but you, don't, you are not necessarily somebody that people can trust. Mm-hmm. And then you cannot even, you know, there are people who inspire people to believe that really they can uh, convince people to understand what they want to say. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a bit different. That's, so it, you, it, of course, it has some issue of age. Because if you would, you would be so young, people would believe that maybe uh, you will not really, you are not mature enough to stand in front of people mm-hmm. and then to uh, you know argue or to impose something. That's age would count, but it was not one. It was one of you know among other elements aspects that would count to be in Yangamugayo. So and it has aspects of age. Uh, it has also aspects of uh, yeah yeah yeah. The, the, somebody would be uh, trust, trusted mm-hmm. and uh, some kind of esteem mm-hmm. and also uh, the way you behave, some kind of behave, behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you, you are somebody who is always inv- you know, involved in bad things or somebody who would, you know, uh, uh, if you misbehave in your in society, if you don't treat well the people you live with, then these people you will not be called in Yangamugayo. So that, that, that's what it, you know, it means. So it is, uh, uh, it's really a, a very, it's a, a semantically complex term that will, will be uh, difficult to understand if you don't bring it in the context of Rwanda. Yeah, and, that's, and, and I think that that's, that's great. Part of why I, um, why I brought up that, um, that translation that's sometimes uh, used to translate that term 
in English uh, as elders is precisely because you you uh, discuss it at length, um, the sort of nuances and various aspects uh, in the book. And yeah. so I, I encourage um, yes. encourage uh, listeners to um, to explore that um, in the book because it, it's very interesting. It is a it's a it's a very rich uh, a very rich term um, that is not easily translated. So. If we um, move um, into the book, your first chapter um, is about the distinctive aspects uh, common to customary laws. And here you um, you sort of talk about the, di- the diversity of customary laws, um, and that's in uh, throughout the continent uh, and elsewhere, right? Um, and you discuss some of the major aspects shared by customary laws, mostly African. Um, and, uh, this is, this, I found a a very interesting, um, a very interesting discussion because, um, part of it certainly has to deal with the multi, um, Rwanda as a, as a multilingual country, Translation is, is, uh, unavoidable and, and indispensable. Um, and so, so it's, it's very, it's very Interesting, again, that this diversity of customary laws also means that translation is indispensable. So I wonder if you would um, talk about some of the most uh, striking um, um, aspects that are shared by these customary laws. I know one uh, that you mentioned was that they are unwritten, um, don't require trained judges. Yeah, I I think that's really um, one of the main aspects of... um, uh, customary laws. Of course, yeah, as I told you, we have uh, there the, as, uh, as many customary, you know, there are customary laws are, are as diverse as they are people. Uh, traditionally, uh, that's why even here in Rwanda we say ahara uh, So it means where you have people, it means people, there are always frictions. So you always have trouble, conflicts. So that's why you cannot even say that maybe even the legal system we have today is just because maybe people invented it. It is just was there created because uh, whenever you have people, there is always a need for a, a legal system. So, uh, but one of them, if you could see as I tried to make some analysis of some different uh, legal systems that we have in, uh, in uh, throughout the continent in, in some everywhere in the world. So these some um, these uh, laws uh, are a, what we call public property. Mm-hmm. So they, nobody could claim that some of these laws uh, systems they belong to this you know small group or another. So they they are shared. Of course, they have some common elements. And uh, what is also more important is about the the proceedings, the the, the structure. Uh, the, 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 the legal structure of it by itself. So it was not something as organized as we, the, the laws we have today. So as I told you about the gachacha, people would, if this, there would be a problem, just spontaneously, some people would call for a meeting mm-hmm. in gachacha, in the grass, and they sit down, then they discuss about the issue, and they see how they could handle. So it's not something that you plan as we have the system today. You say now I need, uh, you know, if it is a crime, you need a prosecutor who will come and then investigate into the matter and then uh, takes the matter to the court. So it's not the same like that. So it's just whoever in the society who would find something wrong would just call people, mm-hmm. any people that who. Would, would he, whom he think he thought would be useful would solve the problem then they could call them to come and uh, try to to solve it so that, that, that's uh, I think what we, I thought about these uh, mm-hmm. uh, distinctive features uh, but then uh, if you could read the book a bit later you find that of course some of these systems have been criticized for uh, their uh, they, because they are not organized as you would think, and uh, they would people would think they would not be fair enough for to solve the problem. I think that's I would what you would find common everywhere in most of these you know systems, and I think also that's what even could make people believe 
that even today's gachacha would not make a difference. I think these are some of uh, uh, main main uh, challenges, and people would think they are not as formal. Uh, where you have this formalistic uh, aspect of the the court structure today, and even the hearings, and uh, uh, that's what we say, and uh, even how people would. I told you about investigating about the cases that people would not take their time a bit to investigate mm -hmm. about the case and then bring the proof, well, the proof, uh, or uh, against the defendant. So it did not work like that. And uh, uh, so you would find even sometimes that the people, the very people, if it was, if I, as I told you, it is just a family issue, any problem that rises in the family is a family issue, is a social issue, is an issue between the members of the society. So now, the same people involved in the society were the same people who would come in to adjudicate the case. So that's really what would uh, be a bit difficult for people to understand. Uh, so I think that's uh, some of these uh, you know, aspects that we wanted to explore and explain to people okay. in the kind of analysis. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so a, cu a couple of interesting things there. One, you, you raised the issue that um, uh, while Gachacha law has been, uh, I think, recognized and um, by a lot of um, by a lot of people as being an effective uh, solution to a to a to a sizable, um, a sizable problem. So, namely, um, uh, dealing with the the repercussions of the 1994 uh, genocide, um, yeah. it's not been sort of universally acclaimed, right? There has been some criticism, um, and um, and this the the lack of codification that uh, that uh, that has accompanied it has been has been one of the things that's been um, Criticized. I do want to to point out for the benefit of listeners that you that you that you do in that first chapter um, underscore the fact that customary law must meet a minimum requirement of certainty uh, if it's to be effective in maintaining order. That is something that you um, that you state uh, pretty clearly in that first chapter. Um, so um, so in the in the second chapter. Um, you do, which which is titled uh, "Pointers to the Gachacha Source Legal System." Um, you sort of uh, discuss some of the characteristics of Rwandan law, um, and this is this yeah. this sort of links to, to some of the uh, things that you've said um, just now, including this notion of solid social cohesion among different uh, different groups, um, high yeah. esteem for elders protection uh, for the vulnerable in, in society and, and very much a, a community basis. Right? Um, yes. so, um, so, so those are some of the characteristics that you outline of Rwandan law. And, and I wondered if you, if you would expand on that, if you, if, uh, if there's anything um, about any additional characteristics or, or anything that you'd like to expand upon. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that, that's really very interesting, yeah, because uh, like any, any, any um, you know, legal system, uh, the uh, main sources of Guanan um, law, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you, what would make a big, big difference between the Guanan legal system and the other types of law is uh, we have the Guandans uh, speaking of the same language. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of uh, what make what makes this uh, one of the main main social cultural aspects of uh, uh, the social co which you know includes the social cohesion of Guandans. Mm -hmm. uh, because whenever one could be, they would believe that they belong to the same people, the same society. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what would make a difference. And then uh, that is one of the main aspects of it. Uh, then another important thing is that something which was the legal system was community based so uh, whatever you had to, to discuss whatever something an issue that would rise in, in, in the society would be discussed in the community among the people uh, that's very important and then 
Now, another important thing that still was something unitary. Uh, you know to have, that, that is exactly what I'm talking about, the unitary uh, element aspect of the, the one legal system is that uh, we had the same culture, the same language, that what would make it, uh, uh, you have the same people speaking the same language across the country, and that's why you would even have the same, exactly the same terms. If you would have the time to qualify this kind of crime, it would mean the same thing everywhere mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, I think that's even the, uh, either a crime or if it would be uh, a punishment, it would be exactly be the same. So uh, these are some of the, the main important things. So now, uh, if you have now the Guanan law, uh, now if you look at the modern Guanan law now, uh, you would find that it is still has some aspects of the customer law. Mm-hmm. Of course, though it has, you know, it, the, the, when we Rwanda was colonized uh, by Belgians, of course they brought their own civil system. Mm-hmm. But then the the problems that uh, I think that's what even one of the trouble that we had that people failed to assimilate the whole system because it was not part of their their life. And uh, it was not, you know, something that was drawn from the real custom of Rwandans. And uh, it would even sometimes even look a bit uh, foreign. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's one of the trouble. And uh, uh, now, uh, when we look at even the rules that we have a bit now today, because we start from the first constitution of the, uh, the, of the Republic of Rwanda, the first Republic of Rwanda, of course, that's why it, that looks a bit more like uh, the constitution of Belgium, uh, a bit like that. So, which something that was even a bit difficult for people to understand and follow, because uh, number one, it was written in French, in French, in French and uh, then uh, a bit later was translated, but even with some problems to or difficulties to translate it. But then. Now, that, that's, this is one of the trouble because uh, most of our countries in Africa, when we had these, kind of these, these uh, laws uh, you know, from colonizers, we, they, we, they a bit, no, not even totally, destroyed the customary legal systems. Mm-hmm. And then they forced people to adopt their own legal systems, mm-hmm. which very, very complicate the, the way they would you know, understand and live. Because, you know, a law should be part of life. Right. Yeah, yeah that's very important. So uh, now, uh, when we, even up today, uh, I think from the, when I tried to to draw uh, a kind of uh, history around the legal, one legal system, which started from that time, and then uh, at a bit of time, it was a bit, uh, you know, forgotten. And then the, we... We adopted the you know a Western legal system, and then uh, that's why from the time, uh, because uh, when we had the very very serious case of genocide, that's when people believe that maybe if we could think twice and try to see back, look back in the history and see what we could find, draw from our history and see something that could that could help us. Because in any case, the genocide is, you know, it is just uh, mass killing, mm-hmm. you kill the people, but also you kill the society. Mm-hmm. So which means that that's what the genocide had killed. It had killed even that unitary mm-hmm. aspect of the Rwandans. So now, what do you think would now, wish, you know, uh, uh, try to uh, bring back that shape, that nature of Rwandans? That's, I think, mm-hmm. how this thing has managed to work. Okay, so that's that's a um, that's a really nice opening uh, to talk about to talk about a few things. I think one of the one of the things that, of course, is is poignant um, uh, in your work is this discussion of this unitary aspect of culture and language, which, of course, um, is in stark contrast to just as as you just said, um, uh, genocide, right? The opposite of of, of the opposite of unitary and this idea of killing, um, killing this, killing the society. So that's, um, so that's part of the, um, if we're filling out this picture, this is, um, your work on, 
gachacha law, of course, has to do with uh, its use as a response to uh, to the genocide. Um, what I what I hoped you would would also do because you do this in the book is you make a distinction between um, uh, what you sort of call traditional gachacha law, which was sort of the only uh, legal system in place in Rwanda prior to colonization, uh, versus yes. uh, modern gachacha uh, law. And I and I wonder if you could if you could uh, help us understand what uh, what as you see it. Um, is the distinction between those two things? Uh, you mean uh, Gachacha uh, before or prior the colonization period, and well, then uh, well, more, 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 um, more. What what constitutes what makes modern uh, Gachacha law modern? Right? You've discussed. Uh, okay, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. That's okay. Yeah, now okay. I understand. Uh, you know, that's what makes it. Is we call it modern. Mm-hmm. As opposed to tradition. Because the first thing, the Gachacha law prior colonization was not codified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And uh, it was just uh, something that would be transmitted orally mm-hmm. uh, through the, the word of the mouth. And then uh, that's, uh, it, did not, it did not have a, any set principles and rules. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very important. And then, uh, then people would believe, rely on people's just testimony. If I say this person has killed or has done something wrong, then people would believe, and then maybe if I could have some witness, they would come and then they believe in what they said. Mm-hmm. But today, you know, you have some most sophisticated, you know, uh, you know, instruments to measure some people's you know, truth of what they are saying about, you know, about something. So uh, that, that's what makes it a bit uh, different. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was not even structured, as structured as we would hear today. And uh, th- th- that's very important. If you see the structure of Gachacha, it is exactly the same structure as the, what we would call uh, today uh, status law. Yeah, that written written law. That's that's the difference. So uh, it is it is structured, well structured with the char, You know, you have uh, titles, chapters, even a preamble. So in you know in the past, people would not even refer to any article. Right. They would just judge according to their wisdom. Right. Judgment. They went and they they understand something. So that, that's what makes it a bit different. Great, and, well, and not, not even a bit, you know, very different. Very different, yeah. So, that, so, so great. So that codification into uh, something that's more, uh, I, I guess, familiar to West um, uh, Westerners, which is uh, this sort of statute um, statute uh, law, is um, is one aspect of this modernity. Uh, one of the things that you also um, mentioned earlier in the earlier in the book, I think. Uh, Perhaps in the perhaps also in the preface um, is that there's this continuity with tradition in that it, it uh, gachacha law embodies uh, yeah. this participatory justice um, and and, yes. and this focus on repairing the social fabric, but it also is is modern in in, in that it, it deals with these unprecedented crimes such as genocide, uh, which yes. which were not um, uh, which were not the case. Uh, in pre-colonial times, well, the one of the things um, you you mention in or not mention <laughs> you do more than mention it in chapter three, uh, which is the uh, uh, titled uh, "Pointers to the Gachacha Target Legal Systems." Right here, you discuss the French and English um, um, legal systems and um, uh, their sort of origins and, and bases, but. Uh, one of the things that I think is particularly interesting in this chapter is that you, you talk about the main difficulty in mediating between um, French, English, and Kinyarwanda legal systems yes. comes yeah. from uh, the, the rendering of the names of uh, um, the various courts and structures in, in different ways. And I wonder if you could kind of talk a little bit about, um, about that. Mm-hmm.
Yes, uh, I, I think uh, that, that, that's, uh, you know, um, when you talk about translation, it's about transferring, you know, uh, meaning of something, a word, a concept, from one language to another. That, that's what it involves. Now, if we had uh, this modern Gachochalo, it absolutely involved uh, tr- you know, transla- translating it from Kenya Rwanda into English and French. Uh, these uh, languages, of course, they have been kind of, uh, 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 they have been, uh, there ha- has been some kind of um, what I would call some. Uh, they have they have been some kind of uh, ex- coexistence between them in the country uh, from the time of colonization and later with the you know some uh, um, reasons of maybe, you know international and you know national international. Uh, integration of the country and diplomacy purposes and business. So, but now, if you want to translate something, the language and the text is all about a system. Mm-hmm. And a system involves the language and the culture and the context. That's very important. So that, that's why we, I had to also try to, you know, to discuss a bit in the book about the, the aspects, major aspects of uh, French and uh, English legal systems. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the French legal system, which is a bit more uh, what would we call uh, continental or you know civil law system, and the the uh, the, uh, the English legal system, of course, which comes from the United Kingdom, which is a bit more about uh, this kind of. Uh, uh, which law which that uh, relies on the precedence of cases, uh-huh. yeah, uh, which is a bit different. And uh, now, if you cut through the different uh, structures of the laws, which are absolutely different because their philosophy uh, different, uh, different in the context, they are different. So that's now, if you have to marry the three systems and they produce a translation. That would make would make a difference. A problem would constitute a problem for the translator. So that's why uh, the way I've been trying to uh, describe the three uh, legal systems, uh, I try to you know show some differences. Of course, uh, would that would find maybe there would be a bit closer relationship between English legal systems because all of them may be being. Uh, you know, originating from European legal system, a bit even now today with the uh, the integration of the two countries in the European Union. Of course, there are some now getting some a bit of uh, similarities. But now we would find a bit difference because if you go to Africa now, except maybe that maybe you had been uh, uh, forced to know the systems because. We through colonization, our systems had been abandoned. Then we had to adopt those uh, foreign systems. But you could see the structures, the way their structures, uh, their structures are quite different. So uh, I, I think that's what I would uh, try to show that now, if you have to mediate between the three, the way it will make a difference. It, it will makes a difference, and it's very complicated. And that's why even call it it is a hybrid. Kachata is a hybrid law, but now it is in terms of how you have modern laws mm-hmm. and then traditional system, which is still there. Of course, you still have some aspects of the tradition uh, which are embedded in the, in the system. So that's uh, I think I have, I had to bring in all these many pointers aspects of the French and English legal system. Well, so, um, and so that, that kind of brings us uh, to, to a question that, that you addressed um, again somewhat earlier in, in the book, which is why, why do this at all? Why, 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 the, necessity, why the necessity to translate, whether it's, it's uh, traditional or modern gachacha law, into 
these legal systems. You do, you do have three official languages um, in Rwanda, mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, is there any? Um, is there any? What's what's the the rationale or justification for these efforts at at, uh, at translation? I, the, the only I think that justification for the translation of uh, laws in Rwanda uh, into you know the three languages, of course, you know they are uh, English and French and uh, in Rwanda are the three official languages of the country. Who, which, which means that for any text that official text that you would produce, yeah, it has to prove some kind of authenticity in the the three languages. And so it has to have, should have parallel texts in the three languages. So uh, I think that's it's an obligation. Uh, but also, I think for the case of Gachacha, that's I think maybe I did not touch much on that. I didn't dwell on that. Uh, so if you have all the texts that you have in Rwanda, even the fundamental law of Rwanda, it's, it's, all, it's, it, has, it is translated into languages. So even for other languages that are produced, they are obligatory, they have to be produced in, in three languages. So, but now, what constitutes a, a big challenge, I think, maybe for modern languages, mm -hmm. if it is, uh, if you have something which is a bit more modern, I start to draw as we would, you know, uh, you know, write it, draft it, and then maybe produce by people who have now, you know, studied uh, English and legal systems. Uh, I think that uh, would be easier for them. But now, what would constitute a problem for Gachatero, it is now in terms of its nature, hybridity. Mm -hmm. So we, when you have to call, you know, to, you know Concise tradition modernity. I think that's what makes a, a problem. But now, now translating in English into English and French, a language drafting in Rwanda is the you know the official and uh, it's an obligation for any legal text. Okay. Yeah, and and in your um, in the fourth chapter, which is titled "Relevance of Culture and Context to Translation," you do talk about. Um, this rationale is, is producing a gachata target text usable by a wider audience um, and applicable to a, a variety of situations sort of beyond um, beyond the, the 94 um, genocide. So that's um, um, that I think is an important um, extension um, to to in in the same chapter in chapter four, well, sort of pick up, uh, you talked about non-equivalence in translation as being a long-standing research interest of yours, which be began uh, with the Rwandan constitution. Um, and in this chapter, you, you discuss sort of not relying on equivalence approaches for, the, for, that, for that specific mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. reason mm -hmm. of, of expanding um, the, the, the reach of the target text. And I wonder if you could um, talk a bit about that, as well as um, um, what I think others. I found this very interesting, but I think, and I think others will as well. Which is the um, the characteristics of sort of this legal translator, right? The person who will take on um, this task, this person who's at the very least um, sort of bilingual, bicultural. Um, so, if you could talk about um, about that that work. Uh, yeah, that's really um, uh, interesting about this. What is interesting about the church here is the way they might uh, social, you know, cultural, contextual approach that I, uh, I adopted. Uh, I, I know I had worked a lot on the non-equivalence, and uh, later when it came to this type of law, which, you know, is hybrid and is embedded with, you know, many contextual and cultural aspects. So I found it a bit wise to think about another approach, because uh, if you could read what had been translated before mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, what we call the original translators of the law, uh, you will find that every word has its own equivalence. So now, then later, but then I said, why don't people understand exactly now, if it is now, each word has got its its uh, 
uh, equivalent word. Mm-hmm. So now, now then later, that's why I said what matters here is not now charting equivalences between the the terms we have here. It's just what we have to think a bit beyond mm-hmm. and go a bit beyond. Think about what would constitute the right way to transfer the meaning to the people. So that's why here you have now to I, I adopt the uh, this uh, uh, cultural you know that's the approach of cultural turn by uh, different scholars in translation interpreting like Basnet and. Uh... Okay, so after um, a bit of technical difficulty, we're picking we're picking back up uh, with yeah. the with the question uh, about. Uh, the, the the sort of task of translation, right, and the the ob- the object the objectives of, of translation in this case, and I also asked about the the characteristics of the legal translator that you that you discuss in in chapter four. Uh, I think what I wanted to say is just about the um, the uh, uh, what would make a difference a bit between. Uh, the work I had you know, conducted with uh, when I was dealing with the constitution of Rwanda right. uh, about the non-equivalence, you know, aspects of the, you know, the, the, the legal text that we had. Uh, it's uh, now if you look at what would be a text that we had, they would, you know, by translated by in the, by in the, the translators of the literature law, you would find that each word had its own equivalence. So there are no Big difficult about problem about the, the equivalence by itself, but then uh, I think that's what make, made me still think that maybe people don't understand the role because they are the translators don't, did not go a bit beyond. They were linked to the equivalences, charting equivalence between the three languages. Mm-hmm. But what may, we may not even make a difference, a problem. So that's why I one then I thought. If because I had read much about the different theories of translation from the time of uh, when the linguistic theories of the time of uh, uh, when you have uh, Dan Bernet, Vinay and Bernet's uh, books in the 60s, and then if you this non equivalent problems that which would uh, I think would, these are the theories which were you know bit uh, uh, the fashion of. Uh, you know, uh, um, experts in translation in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But a bit beyond, now what would constitute the right, uh, that's what I said, now what could make a bit difference is that now look at, looking at, of course, what used to be the, the, the main aspects uh, of translation when people start now think about the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you read the books by... Uh, uh, Bassinet and Lefever and uh, even others. Uh, that's when we say that now the the ten, the cultural ten. So now you have to think about now what culture would constitute. And for me, I don't even limit myself even to culture itself. I even add another element. That's what I think would have made uh, my contribution to knowledge is about the context itself. Uh, then I combine culture and context to. Against, try to analyze, you know, to carry up in the analysis of the now the, the law itself mm-hmm. and try to look at the three versions of the, the law mm-hmm. and then try to see what the two aspects, culture and context, would constitute to try to bring some more light on the way people would understand the real culture and how it functions. So uh, that's what brought me to bring about these theories of transition. Right. Yeah, so, and, and again, this is, um, you know, as you, as you note, I mean, this is a, uh, a book that is really for a, um, as you put it, this, is, this book is for any reader interested in understanding the wisdom of the human tradition. And I yes. think the fact that you approach it um, as, as what you also call a fusion of cultural and translational studies, as well as that, um, the, the, con- the context, the contextualization that you that you just mentioned means that this has um, this is of interest uh, to a lot of a lot of um, a lot of different people potentially. So the the um, if you could discuss um, 
again, in slightly more detail, the, in, in, in the fifth chapter, which, uh, which uh, really in, in, in many ways constitutes the, the core of the book, right? This is where you deploy this uh, socio-cultural contextual approach to deal uh, with translation problems. Um, you, define, you divide the chapter into uh, themes, um, kind of subdivided into various aspects of those themes um, and then provide some recommendations uh, for those uh, dealing with this sort of translation work. Um, I wonder if you could just uh, give us an overview of, um, of what you consider the, the key, the key themes. The, the, I should, I should note that the, the fifth chapter is called major challenges of translation in Gachacha law. And you've already alluded to some of these challenges, but if you could, um, as I said, give us an overview of what uh, of what you discuss in this in this chapter. Okay, that's uh, that's the idea. The fourth chapter is about the major challenges, and that's even that's the the core chapters you have mentioned. Uh, it's uh, where you really try to track in proper way the those main challenges. Of course, uh, I had identified the challenges then, and from that uh, the way I present them. And I tried to, after a kind of desk review of the whole role, I tried to identify some of the main challenges, of course, the way I've been reading and uh, understanding it in uh, the trying to think it about, you know, to think about the law and uh, study the law, looking at different aspects and social cultural and contextual aspects. So uh, that's why I, I, div- I divided the, you know, this challenge into uh, different themes. And uh, I found that, uh, of course, if you look at the, the, the law, it has uh, two major parts. Of course, you have what you would call the most indigenous, indigenous legal aspects that are called in the law. But then you have even some other aspects which are much more related to culture, ideology, and other different aspects. But then if you look at something which much more indigenous, uh, which will not even be part of what we would uh, have today, that's exactly uh, look at from the very first, uh, uh, you know, look at, uh, uh, for example, if you look at uh, Article 8, of the law, where they are talking about the composition of the what they call the bench or the court bench. Mm-hmm. That, for example, they say, okay, now we have the people uh, who have to be like judges, and then they would just constitute a number. Of course, that number would not necessarily. Uh, it was just a kind of I don't know how they want to be uh, something that a number that would be significant. But the way it has been selected, if you even check today, you will not find exactly the same number that you would have a number of judges or a jury of people sitting in front of the defendant and uh, the accused. You know, that's, that's, that, that, that's what makes it a bit different. So now they make, and they call all those people in Yanga Mugai, which means they are those people who hate disgrace, who I believe to be trustworthy and in the community. So that that's now what makes a, uh, one of these uh, uh, indigenous legal part of the something from the indigenous uh, traditional gachacha that was brought in the modern uh, court. So you have some other different aspects, of course. Uh, then now from here. I tried to what I the way I tried to solve, the way I had to solve the problem is that uh, after analyzing now I would add some kind of information, mm-hmm. some background information mm-hmm. that which will not be too long, not too uh, uh, you know uh, uh, make the translator maybe you know the reader understand maybe that I'm adding something. But that would, you know, shed a bit of light on the way you would understand it. So now that's bringing in a bit of the context. Why you have made this kind of panel of Nyangai? Why is it composed this way? So that that's uh, the way I, I thought to 
bring some people understand. So uh, you have other different aspects uh, with uh, you know where I had to I tried to identify some different problems. And uh, for example, if you take um, uh, the aspect, for example, to be selected as why how can somebody be selected mm-hmm. to be part of Nyangamugayi? That's also another traditional aspect. It's, it was drawn from the indigenous system. Now, they would just make kind of list of criteria, but one of these, which would be, is just somebody had to be, you know, uh, to be, uh, to have this, uh, 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 this age, to have this, uh, for example, to be trustworthy in the society, and uh, not to have been, you know, maybe involved in the genocide, because if you have been accused, it means you will not be part of the 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 the, 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 the panel. But so age was again brought back. But I think what I could criticize here is that maybe in my understanding, because you know I even submit the questionnaires to people, different groups of people, as you could see in my methodology, mm-hmm. where you had, uh, you know, uh, elders or people involved in the modern, you know, legal systems, and like judges, but also I had some different groups of people, and uh, no, I think we're having I think we're having technical difficulty there just now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I submit the questionnaire to different people's groups of people. Of course, I had said some. Uh, of course, I had identified some areas of difficulty in the text. Then I had submitted the. I submitted the, the those areas to people, and then trying to ask them about how they could understand in their own way the any different provision of the law. Then some of them would say, okay, how do you find this? Uh, then some of them, some people of the, uh, would have some kind of, you know, uh, diverging, I, you know, ideas about some of these issues. Because if you would ask for somebody who is uh, uh, aged, be, you know, uh, above 70, he would think maybe that the system, somebody, if they have introduced that, somebody who had to be part of the panel, had to be uh, beyond, uh, you know, 21. You know, he had to be 21 years old. Then those people would say, no, that one is too young to judge. He cannot be impartial in the, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the case. So that's what these people would criticize. But then if you would see those people of the modern, you know, system, they would find it appropriate, which would make tell me now, the the old people don't understand it, the way they, those people who are conversant with the modern system understand it, because it is a diff, They are part of. They belong to different visions about the legal systems. So I, I think that's what I wanted to point out about these different yeah, aspects. These, yes. right, so these divergent um, and at times uh, conflicting uh, perspectives and, and interpretations of the law. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of, um, uh, that, that really takes us through, uh, through the end of the, of the book, but I wanted to circle back because in the, uh, in the foreword uh, by your mentor, uh, Professor Katirega, um, sort of describes uh, translation as a mediating form uh, between cultures and contexts, um, which should not overlook cultural differences because, uh, because of, of, of language as a marker of identity. And I think that uh, this is something that, that uh, this, this notion sort of carries through um, 
the whole of the book. So, um, so again, I'm very appreciative that you that you came on the podcast to discuss um, to discuss your book, and I'd like to know uh, what your what projects you're currently working on. Uh, no, um, after that, I think that's I told you I'm very much interested in the translation again and completing. Um, I have now, you know, uh, I have now had another chance now. I've been part of the um, uh, of the uh, commission which um, uh, was tasked to uh, to revise the constitution of Rwanda uh-huh. uh, of 2003. Mm-hmm. But now, when I think now it has been another chance that now, because you remember as I told you, I had worked and uh, you know analyzed the the constitution of 2003, and he had found some non-equivalence issues. Mm-hmm. But now I have had the chance again of re-reading the, the constitution again, mm-hmm. and the way it has been, you know, uh, revised and integrating some, you know, adapting to the new challenges of the situation. I think now it, I think it would be another, I have now trying to embark on another project, of course, trying to see how now, because I could see different parts of it, and now what is now in, has, you know, uh, uh, shaped my my uh, my interest is now, I want to look at again some other different aspects, like now, if you look at the, uh, uh, the different aspects of the constitution, well, for example, you have this uh, human rights, you know, laws, and uh, how it is integrated human rights laws, and uh, these uh, international uh, aspects of the law itself, because now the way you have been looking at it's just much more about the tradition, mm-hmm. but also it's wanted to see how now it was going to be now another, uh, I think, uh, horizon where I have been now analyzing homegrown issues mm-hmm. and traditional issues about the law. But now, how do, do our does our system integrate international systems? In translation, I think that's now what has brought, uh, has come to my uh, attention, and I'm working on this, mm-hmm. and I am have drafted uh, some 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 a bit of papers on that, and I think uh, by in a couple of months I'm going to produce something about that. But it's really very interesting if now you see how now we are integrating some things of the modernity now, how now, no, of the tradition rather, how now is our, is our system integrating foreign aspects into our system? That's what now it is going to make a bit, something a bit uh, different. Well, so this is the project I'm working on. Yeah. Of course I have some other important aspect, uh, project now, I, I'm working on uh, a paper, right now is different the time you called me, I'm working on a paper now, the, uh, the Current situation of arts and uh, human sciences. Uh, I we have a big project where we are trying to see uh, how arts and uh, the fate of arts and the humanities in the, this region. Because as you could see, we have been expressing a decline in numbers of students in universities and uh, uh, a bit of um, reluctance of governments to finance sponsor students. So I'm trying to see even the case of other countries, U.S. and everywhere, how now these things are going. And I think uh, these are my major big projects I'm working on today. And I think uh, in a very few months I'll be producing something for the readers. Great. Well, that's wonderful to hear, and uh, certainly that that uh, that last uh, problem of, of the lack of funding for the arts and uh, or lack of support for the or declining rather support for the arts and humanities is certainly a problem. Yeah, the government has been cutting off funds, and yeah. I think now, but now on the ground that maybe they uh, they are not subjects which you know have some kind of impact. You know, this aspect of yeah. impact, you know, factor or everything, or just uh, development, impact of people. But now, I think that's what we are trying to, I'm trying to see, uh, or, you know, you know, consulting different stakeholders to see, again, whether people understand even the relevance of arts and humanities to the area, because much of the people now are, tend to think that 
all about knowledge and sciences should be in pure sciences and technology. That's right. That's, yeah, and that's, a, that's a, that is a problem that's uh, unfortunately shared uh, shared by many institutions and uh, governments across the world. So, yeah. Well, uh, Professor Ngarambe, thank you uh, again so much for uh, joining us uh, today on the podcast. Uh, listeners, uh, you have been um, uh, hearing uh, Professor Tiresfor Ngarambe from uh, the University of Rwanda discuss his new book, Practical Challenges in Customary Law Translation, The Case of Rwanda's Dachacha Law. This is published by the Organization for Social Science Research in Eastern and Southern Africa. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.